1: First of all, good evening. Uh, I've been traveling a lot, and uh, I just can't tell you how great it is to be in this room uh, and see so many faces. When I was in Victoria, Lena, who some of you know, uh, who came to do a month of practice with us last year, she said, I have a new kind of dukkha that I've never heard of before. So uh, what what is it? So it's called Sangha Envy. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: and um, so it's just so nice to be back here and uh, and to be uh, practicing again with everybody. Um, of course, we're also uh, just finished our second day of our five-day intensive. So there's 26 of us in this room practicing together, starting at 7:30 in the morning. Uh, Chris is here. From um, Mer- D.C. or Mer- or Baltimore, Maryland. Right
0: in between.
1: Right in between. The the Maryland, yeah. So it's in Maryland. Yeah. yeah. And Satya is here from Ottawa, or somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, Durrani is here from Kingston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, who else? Yeah. Anybody here from other worlds? <laughs> so, I'd like to begin by thanking Mike and Christine. Is Christine here? Uh for teaching the Lotus Sutra while I was away. Uh well, I wasn't away. I was actually in the room, but I was in a different time zone. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was really wonderful. And um also to thank uh, Grant. Where's Grant? And Karina uh, for teaching uh, also. It was really lovely to be able to hear the Lotus Sutra through other people's words and I think it's really important to sustain uh, this community for other people to come and present their experience of the text. Um, To be here at the front of the room and to be able to offer their uh, perspective of the text that we're all studying together. Uh, and for other people to show up at the same time. How's our PowerPoint presentation? Great. It's very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it works like just just, it's just not
0: Maybe open the screen all the way.
1: This is what happens when you're high tech. Karina, if you open the screen all the way. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so let me sum up. Um, what we've covered uh, and I hope it's okay Mike and Christine and Grant and Karina to to sum up what you taught uh, since you summed up a little bit about what I taught and uh, was taught in the Lotus Sutra that still hasn't been preached Um, we learned that the real truth of suffering is joy. Did anybody learn this? Uh, we learned that the real meaning of impermanence uh, is our eternal imagination. And we also learned uh, that the real meaning of no self uh, is the exalted self. Uh, That we all have this self that we need to take care of
0: and that we can appreciate. Um,
1: The Lotus Sutra is an amazing text about how large our life is how if we could only see that our life is so interconnected, uh, maybe for once we could cure uh, the loneliness and the anxiety that come from self-centeredness. Maybe that's why we're all here. Uh, Even though we all want to learn the techniques of meditation and become perfect Buddhas, Mm -hmm. maybe we're actually here to learn how to recognize how other people are Buddhas, just through this practice of community. Uh, Coming here enjoying this room. I love Mike's expression. (laughs) And there. (laughs) So the Buddha says uh, in the Lotus Sutra he has a kind of revelation that's a bit shocking for those of you who have been practitioners of the Dharma. Which is, he basically says that he left home and he practiced and he woke up under a tree and then he taught, but that all that was really just like a dream. And it's not really the way things went. Um, Now he says, I want to tell you the truth. I want to tell you how things really are. All that other teaching was just a skillful means, a good story about my life, to get you in the door. But what I'm really here to tell you is that life is radiant. It's illuminated. And all of you can use yourself uh, to be free and a lot of people can't actually take this in because everybody had been working to become a perfect Buddha, to reach nirvana. Maybe some of you, secretly, are still trying to reach nirvana. But the Buddha says, no, 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 no. That was just to get you into one, two, three Mm bellweds. Now you're into one, two, three bellweds and now your practice is actually to be here together. Can you rise up to that? Because if you can treat someone else in this room like a Buddha, you might be able to do it for yourself. But if you're just trying to turn yourself into a Buddha, it doesn't work. It doesn't. It's just years and years of arduous practice. You have to sign up for intensives, <laughs> New Year's retreats. You might even have to listen to Goenka on a video. <laughs> but the Buddha is saying, "Is my body is your body. And so your body can always teach you if you just have the right vision. He's also saying that there's nowhere that you can stand that's not a place that he has not practiced. There is nowhere physically on earth that you can stand that's not a place where the Buddha hasn't practiced. So maybe the Buddha didn't really get enlightened 2600 years ago under a tree somewhere in India, Gaya, But maybe actually the Buddha was enlightened right where you're standing in the very body that you're Oh, maybe your body is the body of a Buddha. And the only way you need to realize that is by seeing someone else's body as a Buddha. Or maybe seeing an animal as a Buddha. Or a tree as a Buddha. As they're doing in Thailand right now. Monks ordaining trees. So people will stop cutting down old growth trees. Maybe we can do this in Ontario. Maybe we can start ordaining trees because they're Buddhas. So maybe instead of the Buddha being a person in history, the Buddha becomes just an attitude. The attitude we have about living each moment fully. Not leaving, not holding back. We talked today in the intensive about how to become a student only happens when you realize you don't lack anything. If you realize you lack something and something in your life is missing, you're a seeker. You're trying to find a path and then you believe that there is actually such thing as a path. You do stuff like teacher trainings. Or they have guest teachers saying, here are the eight limbs of the path. (laughs) Or you do things like, mentorship programs where you learn that these are the eightfold principles of a path. But actually, for Dogen, inspired by the Lotus Sutra, uh, the path is actually your life in this moment. This is the whole path. It's unrehearsed and does not involve intention. Just meeting this moment, unrehearsed, is actually the path. And how many of us have the Uh, uh, courage to do this. Well, maybe it's easy in this room. And maybe this is a good start. But actually to go out there. Do you know this place? Outside of this window? It's really hard to practice out there. It's really hard to go home and visit your family. And practice there. It is really hard to practice Father's Day. Did anybody here try practicing Father's Day? I gave the intensive homework tonight and tomorrow and for the rest of their life. And the homework went like this. When you wake up in the morning, turn off your bed, put both feet on the ground, take a deep breath and say today is practice period and I'm really going to practice today. Not just this kind of idea of being, like, spiritual. Uh, but actually, I'm really going to practice today. And, and to do this all day. And then when you go to bed at night, to lie down and say to yourself, Today was practice period. How, does, how did it go? What was the spirit of the day? What was the mood of the day? And to do this every single day. Oh, the next day, wake up and say yes to your day. And then... Uh, Every moment of the day is your practice. And you've heard this 50,000 times before. And still you want to know what the path is. That's the path. This is the path. Right here. Um, Tonight we're going to look at chapter 20 of the uh, Lotus Sutra. Uh, Let me just say too, uh, I'm, I'm skipping a few chapters because... I feel like in September it would be wrong to just do the last couple of chapters of the Lotus Sutra. So I'm trying to finish for July 12th. So it means skipping a few repetitive chapters um, so that we can start a new subject in the fall. Because the DNA is just organized that way. September, you need new binders, new folders, <laughs> like new center of gravity brochures, fancy website, you know, and uh, hopefully new friends. Because of all the ones that let you down in June. Uh, Chapter 17 was about erecting towers and reciting the Lotus Sutra. Chapter 18 uh, is about feeling a light heart as you recite the Lotus Sutra and feeling tremendous joy as you recite the Lotus Sutra. Uh, Chapter 19 is knowing the benefits of the Lotus Sutra, having a light heart when you know the Lotus Sutra, Feeling tremendous joy when you load a sutra, and teaching it to others. Okay. So, you know, they're kind of they build on each other exponentially, but basically the theme is lighten up. Uh, so in the Pali Canon, the basic theme is life is a bummer. The basic theme in the second half of the Lotus Sutra is just lighten up.
0: It's okay.
1: Uh, I would interpret this as if your sense of humor is not increasing as you practice, then you should have an interview. <laughs> because something's wrong. Um, so uh, the Buddha is telling a story of a Buddha uh, from many uh, kalpas ago named Great Authority. And um, Great Authority then is talking about a Buddha named Awesome Sound King. and. Um, I'm gonna let parts of the text just flow on the wall here so that you can um, kind of glance to them when you need to. Um, So the way it goes is there was an awesome sound king and during an age, uh, he, basically awesome sound king before you start reading. He was basically like, have you seen the sound cannon the police bought a year ago this week? They bought this sound cannon that was like, you know, two and a half million dollars. Uh, which they still haven't used. But. So Awesome Sound King is like a gentle sound <laughs> cannon. His whole body is a gentle sound cannon. And the only thing that comes out of it is the Lotus Sutra. So he uses his body as a vehicle for preaching the Lotus Sutra. Um, but it's j- really gentle. And so that means by the time the waves of sound hit you, um, the waves have actually figured out how to beat you where you are. And that's the most skillful kind of teacher, is that by the time the teaching gets from my mouth to Christiane's body, uh, they've transformed so that she can receive them the way she needs to receive them. Which is the hardest part about being a teacher, because then the student recites what they've learned, and you can't believe that that's their interpretation. <laughs> so then you become a student in that moment, um, because they're trying to use skillful means too. Um, reach you. And it just goes back and forth and spreads out like this. I'm just using it as an example. Uh, Anyways, the other thing about this human sound canon is that uh, Awesome Sound King is preaching the Lotus Sutra for trillions of years. And every time uh, he starts to burn out and go extinct, another Buddha is born named Awesome Sound King that then preaches the Lotus Sutra gently to reach you. And then every time, for after 13,000 kalpas, uh, that Buddha gets tired, because Buddhas get tired. They get burned out. Um, they don't get nailed to a cross like some Buddhas in other continents. These Buddhas, they just uh, burn out. They have burnout. They're basically like the nursing profession. And uh, eventually, what happens is, is um, they all burn out, and there's last one left, and his name is... Um, never disparaging uh, Buddha. Uh, When I close my eyes and I think of Buddha never disparaging, I see Grant. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen the way Grant smiles? Has anybody noticed this?
0: Uh,
1: In 13,000 Kalpas, when Grant goes extinct, another smile will be born. And another Grant will show up um, in the form of Rose. Has anybody here ever seen Rose give a hug? Has anybody seen this? Yeah. OK, the most profound thing other than Rose offering a hug is Rose and Grant hugging. Has anybody seen this before? This is like, it's an unbelievable phenomenon. It's like they're glued together and they just radiate Buddha nature uh, through the whole room. And um, they're not even Jewish. So this is really an amazing, amazing thing to see. So maybe we'll do a little demonstration. Actually, tomorrow at lunch, during the, uh, during the intensive, I think we're having a talent show. So maybe Grant can bring Rose, and you can demonstrate uh, your talent. Um, yeah. So Buddha Never Disparaging uh, has the strangest practice, it seems, to his society. He goes around and um, realizes that the Dharma that's taught in his time is false. Okay. The Dharma's dying, the teachings are dying. Have you ever had this? Especially those of you who are out of town, who have Sangha envy. You walk around in your city and you go to all the different studios and centers and you feel like, it's, this is not the real thing. Has anyone ever had that? Don't put up your hand. But apparently this happens sometimes where, you know, you're learning the techniques. Maybe, have you ever seen some places have these like strap walls? Or if you you know if you don't get the technique good enough, they'll strap you to a wall, you know. Um, and sometimes we can have so much technique that we actually lose the spirit of the practice. This is true. We've all gone through this phase, and we'll go through it again. So uh, the the Buddha Sound King names this counterfeit dharma, and he says that the teachings that are going on are counterfeit. They're not real. They have all the good form, the chanting, the bowing, the sitting, you know, but it's not um, really uh, getting into people's hearts, you know. Which also, we can read between the lines, might be a critique that the Lotus Sutra is offering of dry Pali Canon Buddhism. You know. So, anyways, he develops this new kind of practice inspired by Grant and Rose, who, according to the Lotus Sutra, have preceded the Buddha right Um, and he walks around to people and he bows to them and then he looks up at them and he sees them as a Buddha and says to them basically don't worry about what's going on you're a Buddha what better thing could have happened in your life I sometimes think that the most profound thing anybody can ever feel in their whole life is to have somebody who supports them. Yeah? To have someone who knows you for a long time, who sees you maybe through a few phases, like, I love yoga, I hate yoga, I'm spiritual, I concentrate it. You know? um, to actually have someone who can just put their hand on you, and you feel that they're for you. They're completely for you. What more profound thing uh, could you feel with another human in this life, really? And what more profound thing can you do with your life than to be that person for somebody else? Uh, to know just how long you should put a hand on a back, uh, how long to hug somebody, how long to sit beside someone 's bed, uh, even somebody who 's dying, we know that dying people sometimes have a hard time dying until the person in the room leaves the room. This happens to a lot of the families waiting around, and then someone goes you know to get a coffee and then they die. How could they not die without us here you know and all that pressure keeping them in the world um, So, this is the practice of Buddha never disparaging. Um, He just goes around to everybody, no matter who it is, and then bows to them. You're a Buddha. And what happens, could you picture a person doing this? There are people in the streets of Toronto doing this all the time. Maybe they're picking up your garbage, delivering your mail, taking your money, and they're bowing to you in a way maybe you can't see because you can't see them yet as a Buddha and then you can bow back to them also Um, and then people get angry so this is what happens to this Buddha he starts going around bowing to people and telling them that they are a bodhisattva they're, they're a perfect being just the way they are and people start pelting him and hitting him and basically Trying to get him out of society. Could you picture this? You know, the more you go, people find him annoying, right? They want him out. This guy is so annoying. He keeps telling me I'm a Buddha. I mean, come on, get on with your life, you know. And and they start stoning him, basically. No pun intended. Um, when Buddha Never Disparaging was on his deathbed there were four uh, primary nemesis nemici, that he had who basically um, uh, ousted him from society and they came to his bedside and while he was dying he turned to them and told them they were Buddhas and for the first time they understood and then he died. There is a story like this about Gertrude Stein, that Gertrude Stein, who apparently was a woman of great wisdom, some of you have read her work and you know that, um, when she was on her deathbed, uh, somebody leaned over to her ear and said, What's the answer? And she opened her eyes for the first time in days and said, What's the
0: question?
1: (laughs) Maybe she got that from this teaching. So, right there on his deathbed, he's dying, he's in pain, and what does he do from his pain? He tells these other people who had given him such a difficult time, that they're Buddhas. And in that moment, when they see that in his heart of hearts, this is what he means, They get it, and they become Buddhas. And then the Buddha says, um, "Is it is it up here? Maybe a little lower, or no?" Maybe it
0: was
1: higher. Oh no, no, I think that was it actually. Uh, yeah, Gainer of Great Authority. So now this is back to the original uh, father of the Sound King. Um, what do you think? The Bodhisattva. So this is the Buddha speaking. The Bodhisattva, never disparaging, who lived at that time. Could he be unknown to you? In fact, he was none other than myself. If in previous existences I had not accepted, upheld, read, and recited this sutra and preached it for others, I would never have been able... Never have been able... Boat? (laughs) to attain anyutara samyak sambodhi so quickly because in the presence of those earlier buddhas I accepted, upheld and recited the sutra I was able to quickly attain perfect enlightenment
0: that's okay
1: I don't know how that got in there that's really good in other words the buddha is saying um, I would never have been able to really understand this sutra for myself if it weren't for those people giving me a hard time. I would never really be able to understand the nature of compassion if there was not somebody who in my life was giving me a really hard time. Maybe this is the reason why we have kids. Uh, A few summers ago, I went to Woodstock, New York. I took my son on a road trip to Woodstock, New York, on our way to go visit Enkyo Roshi, who was teaching uh, at the Grail uh, on the Hudson River. And um, this is just about, uh, I don't know, two hours from New York City? Just north on the train, um, up the Hudson. And um, we drove out there, we took a few days, and we, we went out there. And there was this man living in Woodstock, New York, uh, named uh, Mark. And he was uh, seemingly homeless, although I later learned he had a home. And he would go up to people, and he would give people little rocks. And on the rock, it said, Mani, from the chant, Om Mani Padmi Hom, which maybe some of you know, from the Tibetan tradition, which basically means, You're a Buddha. And this man, who had unwashed hair, unkempt clothes, walked around and gave everybody one of these stones on which he etched money. And he would just hand it to you. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for anything. He ba- and when you hand someone a stone, you do this with your body. Right? You make your eye level lower than theirs. So a few months ago, I was reading Tricycle magazine and Clark Strand who is a, a, um, a teacher that I really uh, love. Oh we're not ready for that part. <sighs> Don't give it away. Um, well, uh, was that my Facebook page?
0: Um,
1: Clark Strand um, uh, wrote an article in Tricycle magazine about Mark. And I didn't know this about this man but his name was Mark uh, Rogoson and he when he was in his early 20s he finished law school quickly he was brilliant man and when he was done law school he got a job as a lawyer he had a wife they had a baby and within a year he couldn't go to work he, he, he couldn't uh, go into work he wasn't interested in law he wasn't interested in making money he wasn't interested in stuff he stopped going into work He stopped going home. Uh, He didn't want a place to live. He didn't want a family. Um, He didn't want uh, any of these things that we all want. A good paying job and so on. And so, of course, uh, he fell through the cracks and started living in the street. And after several years, this wasn't safe anymore. And some friends helped him find a new home in Woodstock, New York. So he moved to Woodstock, New York and he started collecting things that people don't want. So people would throw out bottles. He didn't want them to go into the waste. So he would just start collecting bottles. Then people would throw out an old mattress and he thought this was an awful thing to put in a garbage dump. Maybe someday somebody would need a mattress. And then somebody would throw out a bicycle. And over time he had this home filled with everyone's stuff.
0: Um,
1: he basically just collected what everybody was throwing up. The other thing he did was he started digging a hole in his driveway. Uh, every day he went out and he dug a hole in his driveway. Uh, for years, the town of Woodstock wondered, what was this hole? And people started to create some mythology around this hole, like this hole represented Buddhist emptiness people would go by this hole and they would bow you know, and this hole started taking on mythological proportions and when people would go to Mark and ask him what is the significance of the hole he wouldn't answer so people, tourists, would go and see this hole in this man's driveway And everybody had all kinds of ideas about how this whole represented, you know, the emptiness in the core of their life, modern civilization, the banking system, you know, um, spiritual reality. In the meantime, in his spare time, when it was busy out, he would go sit on a corner bench in Woodstock, New York, and he would uh, uh, write mommy on these rocks. And whenever he saw somebody... He would give them this rock. He was Buddha never disparaging. Telling everybody through this gentle means that they are a Buddha. Well what happened was hundreds and thousands of people in their homes and fireplace after fifteen years had his rocks. So every home in Woodstock, New York had one of these rocks that said Mani. You are a Buddha. Beautiful thing. Then, because Woodstock, New York, aside from Boulder, Colorado, or Marin County, is like Buddhist central, uh, there are a lot of people who have counterfeit Dharma practice. And one day, uh, some students from the local Tibetan monastery uh, went to visit Mark and said to him, You can't do this anymore. You can't just write money on a rock, you're not a teacher, and you don't know the correct technique of being able to actually put this on a rock and give it to people. And Mark was so uh, deeply affected by this that he stopped making the rocks. And he stopped giving it to people, and a few months later he died. I read this story I was just so I mean this, this man who was giving so much to people uh, I thought was Buddha never disparaging right? and then you have people come and like not get it and we do this I think don't we? we all do this in some way right? people who are seeing us as Buddhas that we're kind of writing off I was so moved by this article Uh, Maybe some of you read it in Tricycle magazine.
0: Which one? Uh, Just
1: about six months ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, So when I got to this chapter, I couldn't stop thinking about Mark. I kept thinking, I saw this man in Woodstock, New York. I loved this chapter. And this chapter about Mark is a chapter about Buddha never disparaging. So I went on Facebook and I (laughs) found Clark Strand who is Mark's good friend. And so I I wrote to him, as you can do on Facebook. And not only that, but when I went to look for him on Facebook, we were already friends. But I've never met him. But I I love his writing so much, I was so happy that we were friends already. Which is also the Lotus Sutra. And I wrote, and I'll read it. Clark, I am giving talks on the Lotus Sutra, chapter by chapter, And I'm at chapter 20 about the Buddha who never disparages. Burton Watson translation. I wanted to make sure he knew it was the Burton Watson translation because that's the only translation where it's called Buddha Never Disparages.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And as I research the chapter at every turn, it echoes your tender and excellent article on your friend, Mark. Damn! The coolest thing! Clark! Oh, two people liked this! (laughs) And then Clark, this is Clark, here. I've never met him, but he's a good friend of mine. Uh, He, at 1.31 p.m., he wrote, thanks Michael, one of my favorite chapters. My hardcover version of the Burton Watson translation was actually illustrated by Mark.
0: I'll
1: post a photo in a moment. A moment passes <laughs> and then he writes Oh, can you just back up? Then he writes oh, the
0: photo too. Oh
1: Michael Stone mentioned that he was lecturing on chapter 20 of the Lotus Sutra Bodhisattva Never Dispurging and it made him think of my article on Woodstock eccentric Mark Rogosin I couldn't let a mention of Mark in the Lotus Sutra in the same breath pass without posting a photo of the cover he did in a sharpie marker of my copy of the Lotus Sutra. So Mark actually took the text and drew, and who's in the middle? Buddha never disparaging. This to me was the most amazing thing. Yeah, it's really incredible, isn't it? Can you take that in? It looks like a little prince. Yeah.
0: With a star, and the moon, and the
1: sun. Grant, maybe this is one of those meditation crutches for your arm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd just like to finish with a little exercise together, which is I, I would like you to find a partner, um, and maybe somebody who you don't usually work with. If you know, you probably you know already thinking, okay, I'm gonna get her. <laughs> you know, not her. <laughs> We came together. (laughs) Package deal. And I'm wondering if you could maybe uh, share with them somebody in your life um, who you could see as a Buddha, who you really don't see as a Buddha. Somebody that maybe you slightly disparage. Somebody who you think, they could not possibly be a Buddha. (laughs) And yet, right now, because of your attitude, they're teaching you. Mm -hmm. And maybe just tell your partner about this person a little. Okay? Mm -hmm. So let's spend about five minutes doing this.